Flight Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 755. Hi, this is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast. War Eagle. A tough loss to Georgia, but the Tigers played well. How do we feel about it? The AU Wishbone is next, and John's back. You're listening to the AU Wishbone, almost credible sports discussion on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. Bye bye, Bo! From the palatial White Rocket Studios in Southern Illinois, and yes, Eastern Virginia, it's the AU Wishbone Podcast. John, you're back. You're back. How are you? Tan, rested, and ready to podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maintaining. Well, I'm not a crook. There it is. There it is. All right. Well, I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, we had Delvin sit in for one episode, and then I did a little wacky one-man thing for one episode and it just wasn't the same but now the the circle is now complete <laughs> and you're back did the you show have, must go on show, yes did you have a good uh away on assignment i was i was on the other side of the planet doing research for the podcast and uh, uh but it was great and i enjoyed uh, downloading and listening to you and delvin and then you last week and i appreciate uh, you keeping it moving and I appreciate everybody's patience although some fans blame me uh, (laughs) so we'll get to that in the list of questions but uh, I'm I'm happy to be back and uh, be back talking to you about Auburn football. Well I think you're absolutely the last person that should be blamed for anything this last few days I mean my goodness but uh, yeah we've got a lot to talk about tonight a lot to cover and I'm going to remember to do it this time the very first thing we always have to do of course is for me to find which where the button went. I hate, I hate, I hate when the button disappears. Why does the... That's the Auburn fun meter, John. So, you've been away, and while you were away, Auburn played two ball games, and you kind of missed the, the... You missed the sort of agony of defeat and then the thrill of defeat, but <laughs> two very different... Uh, Two very different experiences, but uh, we will talk about them. So after all that whirlwind of, of, of Auburn football the last seven or eight, nine days of, uh, of those two games, where is your Auburn fun meter at this week? I, specifically after the Georgia game, it would have been pretty low after the A&M game, I would be honest. After the Georgia game, I'm going to say it's a six. I was encouraged. I was excited. I hate losing to them. I hate Georgia. But I... We're going to talk about it. I just think, you know, we were in the game, and if, I don't want to be a hypocrite because, like, in the in the barbecue episode, that's what I asked for. I asked for us to be competitive, and we were yeah, competitive. that's true. Well, mine is an eight, and that's a conservative eight because right. cause I was, I mean, I'm sitting there watching that game and saying we're going to fold up like a cheap card table any second now, and we never really did. I mean, we gave up the one no. drive at the end that, that, that cost us, and that was disappointing, but... And but you know, and we're going to talk about. But there were like two or three moments in the game. Well, there were two or three moments that we that we caused 
that put us in the game in a position to win. And there mm-hmm. were two or three more moments that if we could have gotten those two, then we would have won. Yes. But it was asking a lot, right? It's like asking to draw an inside straight. I mean, you know, we, we basically drew uh, a full house and said, let's see how that goes. And we went up against a team that basically walks in with a with a straight flush, you know what I mean? And so you gotta you gotta draw into a royal flush almost to beat them. And we we really were like two plays away. There was the fumble in their red zone, the second one, which I gotta tell I'm gonna tell you and tell you right now. When I thought they fumbled the second time in their red zone, I think in the early third quarter, mm-hmm. I was at Archon on a panel and I jumped up and ran out in the hall and ran down the hall screaming and then I came back and sat down <laughs> <laughs> and they took away the touch. They took away the turnover, and I was just like, "Well, that was exciting. That was a <laughs> that was a moment." But everybody at Archon was was amusing themselves watching me agonize over that game while I was trying to talk about Babylon Five and Lord of the Rings and whatever. So, um, yeah. So I I give it a high number, and not a high number as if we'd have won. Obviously, that would have been an eleven or something. But I just felt like. We never did what I thought we were going to do. I expected us to lose that game. I, I think my prediction was like forty-eight to six, based mm-hmm. based on what we saw with Texas A and M. And so, I'm starting to think that I don't know what happened between A and M and Miami, other than Miami just threw the ball all over them. But A and M looks like a dang A and M looks better every week since our game. And I, you know, they're are they playing Alabama this week? We're going to get to that. Yes. Yeah, oh, I got some things to say, so we'll see. Anyway, um, yeah, so that I'm I'm very comfortable with an eight. I wish it could have been higher, um, and I, you know, my comment was it worked out pretty well after all. I mean, I I just I my expectations were through the basement down in the middle of the earth, and and the thing I was mostly my biggest issue the last couple of days has been these alleged Auburn fans that have been whining and crying that we didn't actually win and saying, oh, we don't we're Auburn, we shouldn't. Sh- go for moral victories. I'm I'm not talking about a moral victory. I'm talking about looking like we're ahead of schedule in some ways. This team last year could have never done that. It's signs of progress, and that's yes. different than a moral victory. This yes. game, the games against really good teams are a way to measure yourself. There's people out there right now that in 1981, when we went up to Tennessee and almost beat Tennessee in their own house with our little 1981 5-6 team, and just barely came up short, and those players were all tearful in the dressing room, and Pat Dye did his famous speech about, there are going to be days, you know, you just have to do it again and again and again. And there are Auburn fans right now that would walk into that locker room and look at Pat Dye and say, we aren't claiming moral victories, you loser, you know? <laughs> and I would just slap those people in the mouth. Yeah, I would just is. like to slap those people in the mouth, John, because we are looking for progress. We're looking to get better. And this game felt like that Tennessee game in 81. It felt like some of those games in 2009 when yes. we could tell we were turning things around. That's how it felt to me. Yes. We're going to we're gonna come back to that one. Yes. All right. Um, so Auburn is now 3-2. and two. I thought that our listeners might like to know some other teams that are far more hyped up than we are that are also now 3-2. and two. LSU. Perhaps you've heard of them. LSU are now three and two. Colorado with Coach Prime. Colorado is now three and two. So we're in good company, I, I think you could say, right? And then also Florida is three and two, although I think we're better than them. Clemson is three and two. And Arkansas pff, is two and three. 
So I feel pretty good about things, right? If you told me that we could have the same record as LSU and Colorado and Clemson this year and better than Arkansas, I'd be like, sold. Cash on the barrel. Yeah, I'll take it. So uh, I feel pretty good about that. Um, there, before, we, before we get into the Georgia game, there's one other thing I wanted to note, uh, and this has actually been updated recently, is that during his uh, touchdown club appearance in Birmingham, I think this morning, Coach Freeze said something about regretting not getting to play Georgia next year. And people kind of ran with that and said, oh, he's, you know, he knows something that he's not supposed to be talking about that he's actually let slip. And he has now backed that. He's walked it back, as they say. He is now saying that that was just him. I mean, when I heard him say it, the way I took it was him saying, we're probably not going to be playing Georgia every year anymore. And, I, and, you know, there's nitwits on Twitter that want to argue every little detail. And they're like, we don't know that. We don't know that. And I'm like, well, I know we don't know it. But unless but we, we add don't a, know that we are playing them every year. Well, unless they add a ninth game, we ain't, right? Because, look, That's if right. they stick the with voted to do that. Yeah, and they haven't. If we stick with eight, we're only playing one permanent team. And it's not going to be Georgia, y'all. I hate to tell you. It's not. Right. It's just not. It ain't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be their first choice. No. So it's going to be Alabama and that may, unless they change something. So just deal with it. But I'm sorry, but no, he walked it back and said that's not what he meant and he he wanted to clear that up in a hurry cuz he realized people were thinking he was saying something he wasn't. So that's fine. Um but um yeah, so he doesn't know anything we don't know other than like I was trying to say on Twitter, we all know that that's probably what's going to happen and you know, but whatever. All right, let's talk about the Georgia game in a little more detail. 27 to 20, and you asked the question in our show notes, how should Auburn fans feel about this game? And I think it's a good question because we're, you know, often come on here and talk about we need, we're glad the podcast is on Monday because we need a day to recover and rebalance emotionally to talk about this. Um, and we do the therapy of losing sometimes for fans and all that, and but I think there's a real discussion about how do we think Auburn fans should feel about this. Should they be angry at that we had them on the ropes and they got away? Should we be pleased that there were signs of improvement and so many top recruits are there, got to experience that great game atmosphere? Should we be crushed because it's Georgia and they freaking own us the last 15 years? Should they be frustrated because we still can't throw the ball um, or something else? Like, yeah. What do you, how do we, how do we feel and how would, if an Auburn fan asked us, how should I feel about this game? What would we say? I feel like take all those things you just said, put them in a big bowl and stir them up. And that's how I feel. But my predominant feeling, the one that floats the top is pleased with the team improving and so many top recruits experiencing that atmosphere. Because again, if I had gone into that game with the slightest, the slightest expectation that we could win it. I would feel disappointed. Every minute that we were leading or tied in that game, I was just giddy, like, yes. like I just won a million dollars. money to me. Yes, yes. And so when we end up losing by single digits, I'm just like, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, because we shocked everybody. Everybody's had to, and it's funny too, because I've been listening to the national media narrative on this, and the narrative is almost always Georgia, right? The narrative is never, 
look how good Auburn is. The narrative was always, well, Auburn sucks, so Georgia must have really played down. And I feel like that's, I understand that because people remember what happened last week and they know that we're still coming out of the dark ages and the potato famine, I know. And so I, I get it. We have to earn our way to the point that the media narrative is not what's wrong with Georgia, but hey, look at Auburn, right? We have to earn that back. We can't just expect to get it the first time we play like we know which end of the football is pointed and which side is round. You know what I mean? We, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll own that. I'll take it. Yes. We've got a little ways to go, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there, and this was the first time I've really felt like we we're going to get there. I, this is the first time I felt like we're on the path that we need to be on to get there, other than recruiting and everything, you know, yeah, like actual football think, play. But I think they're connected, right? Yeah. I do. I, the other part of the narrative I think that is true and is something that we understand intrinsically is that Jordan Hare is a gigantic advantage. Yes. And that when other teams come in there, regardless of how good they are, we have a chance and they're going to have problems. And that made a gigantic difference, and it showed what a you know great home field advantage we have. And I think that connects to the recruiting thing because there were hundreds of yeah. top recruits at that game, and they had a great experience. And their message was simple. We need you. We didn't have enough depth and talent. You could be the difference. Come here and help us do it. I want to say something about the Jordan-Hare thing because I was just thinking about that earlier today. Um I really like the fact that like back in the 90s, starting really in the 80s, but really starting in the 90s, the media narrative about the SEC stadiums was LSU at night, Tiger Stadium, Death Valley at night, right? And you still hear that. You still hear that, and that's fine. They earned it. They deserve it. That's fine. But the last three or four years, even when we've been down, I've heard over and over Jordan Hare's a snake pit, right? They've got such a home field advantage there. It's not fair. That place is a crazy place to play. And I am loving it. I mean, we've had that reputation to a degree since the early 80s, right? This is not brand new. But it's it, to me, because my radar is always, like, you know, look, like most Auburn fans, my radar is antenna is always up. For mentions of Auburn, mentions of our players, mentions of our coaches, mentions of Jordan Hare. That's what we do. We listen to see what is being said about us. It's, it's what we do. And I've heard Jordan Hare mentioned that way. I think it really started with it. I think it kind of started in 2017. We beat Georgia and Alabama back to back. And then in 2019, when we beat Alabama is when it really got going. The whole idea that Alabama just hates to play in Jordan-Hare. They're scared of it. They don't want to go there. It's a snake pit. It's a death trap. And, I mean, when when uh, when Potato almost beat Alabama there year before last, I think that really kind of sealed the deal that Jordan-Hare is so powerful that even Potato could almost beat a great Alabama team with a Heisman Trophy quarterback in that stadium. And, and this did nothing to dispel that image. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think the I stadium it. is a big part of it. And, uh, and but also, like, I, this is not an Auburn team that's going to win a national title or anything. And the fans showed up and showed out and made it a great environment. So, um, As we get into the game, I did hear in Freeze's press conference, he said, they asked, somebody asked him, and I love <laughs> I love how Auburn people think, right? We we didn't score a touchdown, so we did lose by seven. But somebody said, if you had scored the touchdown, and I'm like immediately going, how do I get to that universe? Where's the portal for that one? But 
if we do score the touchdown, would you have kicked the extra point or gone for two? Which to me is like saying, you know, when you die and go to heaven, and when you get to heaven, you see that it's perpetually the Iron Bowl, and Auburn is scoring a touchdown to beat Alabama 100 to nothing. Do you how uh, do you throw or run for the two point conversion? <laughs> That's the question I've always asked, right? Flea flicker. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, he said he would. Uh, he, this is what this is what Freeze said. He said the ch- he looked at the chart. He was thinking about it. He said the chart said go for two. But he didn't like our chances in short yardage against their defense the way it was playing, and so he would have kicked no. the extra point and gone to overtime. What do you think? We ran poorly in short yardage. If we did go for yeah. two, it would have had to be something different. It had to be a quarterback keeper or pass or something. We could not have won in zone against them. It's interesting, though, because that's the case where we usually say <clears throat> if you have a chance to get it over with, you take it. Yeah. And no, I agree. I, when you're the underdog and the other team has more talent or more firepower, it's on you, I think, to take the chance to right. end the game. If exactly. You get to, if you score second, especially. Exactly. But yet you and Coach Freeze both say kick the extra point and go to overtime. Because maybe something will happen, right? You win the kicking contest. or It's like going to penalty kicks and anything can happen. Yeah, but I, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably go for two just because I think they, you know, and they have more depth. Um, the game goes on longer, you know. Especially in the red zone, Bowers is tough. I, I, might, I think I'd go for two, but I'm just saying I wouldn't run it. I, well, okay. I, I'm going to say, and I remember 1996 also, <laughs> where mm-hmm. oh, good lord, Auburn and Georgia in four overtimes, and I was just like, man, I just want to go home. And then, dang it, they let me. Um, all right. So speaking of Bowers, Brock Bowers. I mean, he was the best player on the field, wasn't he? He was, and, and he was the difference. I, I think people get hung up in the fact that he's a tight end. He doesn't have 200 yards a game or whatever. But to me, it's, it's like when we play, you know, Clowney or, uh, you know, Devonta Smith or, you know, uh, the big defensive end from Texas A&M that, you know, went uh, first in the NFL draft. Like when oh, you yeah. play one of those kind of guys who's an awesome dominant player, they're going to get theirs. At some point, you could double team them and do all kinds of stuff, but at some point, they're going to. And I think Bowers is you know, probably the best offensive player in the conference. Yeah. So, you know, we did everything we could against him, but uh, he some of those catches he made was good coverage. And you know, I don't, I don't. So I, I, I don't get hung up about it. But I also feel like if you put Bowers on Auburn, we win the game. If you oh, put yeah. Bowers on Georgia, they win the game. So I, to me, it's that's a. As complicated as it is, they had that kind of firepower, and we didn't. Well, I was just like, why don't you just throw the ball to him every play? Because we couldn't cover him. If they'd thrown the ball to him every play a couple of drives earlier, they'd have won by t- three touchdowns. And a lot of like. the other plays, when they did throw the ball, it was set up by him being the decoy and pulling the defense away from the receiver. So mm-hmm. in some ways, he you know he was involved even though they weren't throwing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had – more and better players. We knew that going in. They have more and better players than most teams. Um, but I feel like we made some strides maybe toward upgrading our own roster. We did. I mean, I think the the recruiting thing was huge. I think that's going to matter. But I also think, you know, we – this team improved from the Texas A&M game to this game. Yes. And I think the coaches and the players did a good job adjusting, figuring out what we can do – eliminating the stuff that we can't do and yes. not doing that stuff and focusing on the things that we can do 
which the end result on offense was something that looked a little bit like the end of last year. It did, yeah. Running the quarterback and then doing mm-hmm. some misdirections with the run game and stuff. Very occasional passes. Um, and I think I said all week that you know people were arguing about which quarterback, and I said all week, it really honestly doesn't matter which quarterback is out there if you keep fumbling the ball on the run plays that are working and you keep holding on the run plays that are working, then nothing's going to work and it's not going to matter who the quarterback is. That's right. And, had and to they, eliminate the mistakes. And they fixed both of those. We had one penalty for five yards the entire game. And it only, was on special teams, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the only turnover was just basically at the end when we were desperately trying to get a first down. I didn't you know, blame that. So, that I mean, they did what they had to do to clean things up first and then find things that worked. And I think that cannot be understated, especially when you're playing a team that has the talent that Georgia has. The, the temptation is going to be there if you're an offensive lineman to hold somebody. You know, like, oh, if mm-hmm. I just you know, grab my guy a little bit more, I can hold the spot for half a second longer. We'll, you know, complete the pass or get a bigger run here or something. And we didn't hold, we didn't, you know, commit, uh, we had no, you know, uh, procedural penalties of any kind on either side of the ball. Um, and I think that was big. We didn't have any pass interference, even though we were all over Bowers a lot of the game. So I, I just thought that was really, really well done. And, um, the team knew the penalties were a big problem coming out of last week's game, and they worked on it, and it and made a difference. And I think not turning the ball over is a part of the recipe now. Like we yes. got to run the ball and play good defense and not turn it over, and then we'll have a chance in games. I sure wish we'd had Damari Austin. And, and, and by the way, we got more injuries. It just feels like this team just keeps piling up injuries until I don't know how we're going to field a team before the season's over. It's true. There were, especially in the second half, I mean – there were some defensive players that got banged up, and I think that mattered down the stretch. Um, so, I, yeah, no, I mean, the injuries continue, and, and uh, hopefully everybody's going to be in good shape. You know, with the bye week is probably at a good time. Yeah, I got a week uh, off after Georgia. You're right. We could have used Austin. Like, he has another ability to make a big play, and we needed that because we certainly weren't getting any out of the passing game. I tell you, though, speaking of Austin not being there, I've been really impressed with the, how uh, Batty has come along. Yes. Yeah, he's better with the ball in his hands than I thought he might be. Yeah. Um, Get him some space. Get him a little bit of space, and he can do something. I, I love those little flare-out passes we did to him. We need to be doing yeah. that every freaking game. Yeah. And he catches them. He's very good with yeah. the ball. He they that's a play we've seen a lot over the years, the running back not be able to catch. But mm-hmm. but whether it was the way the quarterback was throwing it or him just being able to catch it, he caught every one of them smoothly and then immediately turned it upfield and got positive yards out of it. And I was very impressed with that. He kind of reminded me of like uh uh some of the guys we've had in that position over the years, going all the way back to Lionel James up through like uh Grant, you know, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago and all. I like having the little utility little running back, little scat back that can kind of get out there and do stuff in the space in the flat. And Georgia's defense is fast, but he he got out there and made yards. That was Well, that was supposedly one of the things that they figured out, the coaches figured out, was that as fast as Georgia's players are, they felt like they could get out on the outside of the formation and 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 get up field and and make some make some hay and they did. Mhm. And I don't know how well, I think it's kind of it's kind of the thing where we kept we're run inside, run inside, run inside, boop, get out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we couldn't abandon the inside run. We had to keep hitting them with it. So they stayed, they pulled everybody inside. They weren't worried about the pass. And then 
you know, when we have a receiver on that side, they're either blocking or they run the defender out of the area, and Batiste got some room to go. Were you surprised we didn't see Cobb very much? Maybe, um, but also I think I think part of the A&M thing was the lessons of the A&M game were, you know, I think they narrowed down the playing roster a little bit and said, you got to be 100% on your assignments if you're going to play in this kind of game. Yeah. And I think some of the receivers didn't play, and I think Cobb didn't get much time either. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, One thing I was going to point out, I I, I find it very interesting. I don't know if I like it or don't like it or what I haven't decided yet, but I find it very interesting that Freeze has no problem talking about who did what with the plays, the offense, after the game. And you remember he said he called the play that scored the touchdown against Cal. And by the way, I just want to say – that Cal win is just going to be bigger and bigger in the, as the season goes on because we're going to need that win, and that win was yes. really important. Okay. That was a crap game against a crap team, and yet we somehow pulled it out. In the middle out. of the night. <laughs> it was in the middle of the freaking night, and we pulled it out, and that W looms large. Because um, without it right now, we'd be 2-3 and three and have lost mm-hmm. to, would have lost to everybody of any quality we played, honestly, any big Power 5 teams. Yeah. So that sucks, but we're not. So anyway um, – but Freeze said that unlike – he didn't use it these words, but actually – but he has said in the past that Montgomery made up the plays, did all the play design and everything, and he just had some input. This time he said he personally approved of every play that was on the call sheet. And he, I don't think he said specifically how many he specifically called, but it made me think that this week was much more of a Hugh Freeze uh, – approach than what we've gotten before now is what how do you feel about that i mean at one point cbs said he was calling the plays and hmm. i don't think that was 100 percent true like he didn't call the whole game but i do think he did call some plays more plays he did against cow and we don't know the real number but i think he knew he had to get more involved with the offense and he did and the result was we were better so i you know i don't i've been concerned about us moving into a gust OC situation. Oh, there, right? I know. We just got out of that, and I, here we come I know again. It, but I think it's the nature of head coaches who are offensive people. I mean, he thinks he could do it better, and in some ways, I, he clearly his, his influence on the play, you know, on the offensive game plan and, and the play calls mattered, and it was better because I think he's helped identify what we can do. So, um, in the, anyway, not try to do a bunch of stuff that we can't do. I think. I think you're right. I think there's two kinds of play-calling offensive coordinator-type coaches. There's one kind that has a vision of what they want to do, and they're going to keep trying to make the team be able to do it. And there's the other kind which says, let's see what I've got, and let me see what I can do with what I've got. And this game plan against Georgia felt way more like the latter. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is what Cadillac Agreed. did last Agreed. year too. Yes, it's not. Let's not try to bang our head against the wall with the, the aspirational offense. Right. Here's what. Here's what the players well, we have on the roster can actually execute. Well, remember the 2013 team, Gus's first year, the first two or three games. Remember how we always used to say it took Gus like three games to figure out what the yeah. offense was going to be. The first two or three games, he had Nick Marshall out there trying to be a passing quarterback. And it's not that How Nick's... many passes did he throw against LSU? Like 40? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then after LSU, we said, you know what? Let's just run the freaking read option the whole rest of the season. And we almost won the national championship. So. No, I, I, you're right. I think it's – we're not going to get to the title, but I think mm-hmm. 
it is identifying what this team can do and what they can't do. And I think the the running game is it, and it showed in this game. I mean, early, you know, it's the most rushing yards George has given up in five years. Yeah, that I wanted to hit on that. Yeah, that this was the most rushing yards. It's so funny too because last just a few games ago, the end of last season was the most rushing yards Alabama had given up in forever, and, and so clearly, when our team you know, puts our mind to it and tries to do it, we can run the dang football. It's pretty amazing against anybody. That's it. But I mean, but I I, want to say this because I think it's important. Georgia knew we couldn't throw the football. Yeah. They weren't scared of us throwing the football. They didn't, they brought the safeties up. The safeties were focused on the run. They were not stressing about the pass. They were single coverage a lot of time. And we still ran for 243 yards. It's not like we had a balanced attack and ran for 243 right. yards. They had no fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were running for 200 and something yards into into 11 man fronts essentially. <laughs> um, I, I do want to note though that you may have been breaking a news story just now. Are you saying that we are probably now eliminated from the playoffs? I would I would say that's a reasonable playoffs? assumption. Yes. Don't talk about. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? John Ringer, 2023. You could quote me. There it is. Playoffs? <sighs> All right. Well, let's see what else. So we didn't really talk about the defense yet. Um, anything else about the offense? What, how did you feel about the quarterbacks? I, I thought we used them smarter. I mean, I think the I didn't I, – I don't love when we get to the 20, we bring in Robbie, and we pull him out and put Thorne in. Like, I just – like it's third and two and fourth and two and we got Thorne in the game. Yeah. I'm I'm like, okay. I mean Georgia still isn't scared of our passing game and you got the you know, Thorne did run for a fourth and two, I'd give it to him. But um, and <laughs> Auburn had, and, uh, attention please. Auburn has pulled their running quarterback and inserted their running quarterback. <laughs> that's it. They're their slower running quarterback. Yeah, the slower running I mean, quarterback. Thorne when he was running to that sideline was looking hard for those Georgia players because he knew he wasn't out running. Oh, he yeah, but he I tell you what though, he he did a lot he got a lot more distance out of it than I think anybody, including the Georgia defense, thought he was going to. Agree. I'd agree with that. Um I I was okay. I mean, I, again, I thought, I thought in the A&M game, Thorne did not play well. He wouldn't release the ball, right? He held the ball way too long yes. sometimes. In this game, he threw the ball, and I thought the receivers and the tight ends did not play well. I thought there were a number of passes that Thorne threw that went off players' hands. And when you're playing Georgia mm-hmm. and we're in the game at home, you got to make those freaking catches. Okay, and I, I mean, I'm say there's like at least five of them where an Auburn player it hit their hands. So to me, Thorne did his job uh, in this game, and I don't have a problem with it. And I thought Robbie when the games in when he came in and played, and I, did you see Robbie had the little flare pass and actually completed it, had the touch yeah. right. Um, yeah, look I at that you. was progress. Mm-hmm. I saw. I didn't have it on, but this is an this is an oddity, but you'll know why. It was actually Mira last night that had the NFL game on. Because you know me, I don't turn an NFL yeah, game on yeah. unless there's an Auburn player doing something. But Mira was watching it because it was a whole Taylor Swift thing, and she's a huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, but I got kind of sucked in for 10 minutes, and then I realized I was getting interested in the NFL, so I immediately got up and left. But <laughs> there was a – I went and read a book or something. But there was an interesting moment where they talked about the Jets quarterback, and they said that, like, 
it, it was something close to this, right? I, I've kind of forgotten the specifics. But it was very close to this. It said something like his passer rating when he gets rid of the ball in less than two and a half seconds is like 150 or something, okay? And his passer rating when he gets rid of the ball in over two and a half seconds is 19. And I thought, that sounds like us. Yeah. And I thought the main problem, one of the many main problems when we played Texas A&M was they just didn't have plays designed for him to get rid of the ball quickly. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I think part yeah, that's fair. But I think part of that is I don't think we have a bunch of receivers that can get off the line and get open against SEC defenses. Yeah, that's I don't amazing. Think we have Javier's Johnson didn't play in this game. I don't think we have a bunch of guys that could get off in single coverage against you know Georgia's defensive backs and and get open immediately. So. Yeah, it just amazes me that we can bring in very highly regarded receivers, which a lot of them were. You know, we when we got them in, we were like, "Hey, look who we got! Woohoo!" And then they come in, and we go, "Man, I wish we'd gotten some good receivers." I, what, what's the? I mean, I just I, I guess I mean, if they were really good, they wouldn't have come from wherever they were to Auburn. They'd have gone from wherever they were to the NFL, right? That's fair, but also like we got a bunch of smaller school receivers moving up. Um, yeah, you know. Peyton Thorne's best receiver went to Florida State, and he's killing it. Uh, so um, he's going to be in the playoffs. I think, I think that's part of it. But uh, I, we, you know, to go back to the offense a little bit more, just before we go to the defense, I th- one of the biggest things was just third down. Like we yes. only converted two of twelve third downs, especially in short yardage. We just couldn't get anything going against them, and I think that was really a big difference maker in the game. One or two of those conversions, and, and we're you know, keeping some drives, lives, and scoring. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the third down thing. And, and, and Freeze talked about that, too. He said the game was won and lost on third down. They converted third downs, yeah. and we did, and that was it. We couldn't stop them. That's we it. couldn't get off the field, and we couldn't stay on the field. So, <sighs> um, Yeah, we had the one fourth down, actually, and then the high snap messed up. We had that several times. Thorne spent a lot of time trying to get the ball out of the air. Uh, not really his fault. But um, – I was okay with them going forward on fourth down there. The field goal wouldn't end up mattering anyway. Um, if we could have scored a touchdown on that drive, it would have been a different ball yes. game. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. So they were. I mean, when you're when you're the underdog, we talked about this. You have to take chances, and mm-hmm. they, and they did. They were you know well, going for it. Well, I said there were like two or three moments that really turned the game around. One was that where if we could have gotten that, that would have been huge. And another one was when we got the fumble and they took it away. And and I agreed. I mean, it, it was, the guy was down. That's fine. But if it had been, if it had just worked out to where he was, the ball came out before he hit the ground, and we we would have had the ball like their fifteen well, yard line. Are you kidding me? Oh. And then the other play was where our, you know our pass rusher hit their quarterback and he threw the ball and right in, uh, and yes. Riley almost intercepted it. Yeah. You know, either he gets there, you know, a millisecond earlier and and it's a mm-hmm. fumble yeah. or a strip or whatever or you know, he Riley actually is a little bit further afield and catches it. Either way, that would have been a huge turning point too. So there were just several moments where it could have gone either way. And like I said, you really just needed for every one of those to go our way. Several of them did, but just not quite enough. And that's that's the difference when you're a when you're not as talented and you're just trying to scratch and claw out a out a win. That's the difference. So uh, let's see what else we want to talk about: offense or defense. I mean, I think the 
we coming into the year, the we had big concerns about the rushing defense, and I thought the rushing defense again was very good in this game. Yes. Georgia's offensive line is excellent, and we held them down. I was mm-hmm. I was pressed, but we couldn't get pressure on the young quarterback. I th- I feel like if we could have harassed him more, hurried him, mm-hmm. given him some more things to worry about, he might have he might have you know uh, made some mistakes. But I also the other side of the pressure thing is we didn't blitz him a lot because we were trying to keep guys back in double team Bowers. Like you can't double team Bowers and blitz a safety. Yeah. It doesn't work. So we, we, you know, we chose to, to focus on that part, but it, it, you know, there were times I think when we needed to uh, just get a little bit more pressure on him. And some of that is just a, you know, more, more dudes on defense thing. Yeah, the one play that we got somebody in in their quarterback's face, he just kind of threw the ball blindly up in the air and it landed right in their receiver's hands, which is just like, ugh. And that was like a third down too, you know. But uh, but that was it wasn't blind like he that's where he's supposed to throw the ball in the space the blitzing player is vacating, and that's the kind of thing that we need Thorne to do when he's yes. under pressure. Like we have that mm. same kind of thing built into our system, and we're just not doing it. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, let's see. Marcus Harris. Great game. One of the best games by an armored defensive lineman in a while. Uh, he was all over the place, disrupting, causing problems for Georgia. I, you know, we need difference makers to emerge. And I think he's emerging as the, you know, the guy on the front of defense who could make it happen. Uh, turnovers. Ten already that we've created. I, I mean, that is shocking. Yes. Right? And yeah. the, it, from 2020, 2021, 2022, the season totals were either 12 or 13. And we have 10 mm-hmm. after five games. It's, it's amazing. That's a big turnaround. you got to give Roberts and the defensive players credit yeah. for making that happen. And uh, especially the secondary is they're going out and getting the ball. Uh, the special teams continue to be very good. I'm just totally sold on Alex McPherson. I don't think he's missed one yet, has he? No, I like him. I mean, I I think he's really good. I think he's. I'm not worried when he's out there. It's funny. He he seems so much smaller. I, that's just one thing I just noticed that we're used to the Carlsons, who are these gigantic, gigantic Nordic kids and Nordic Viking dudes that yeah. kick. Yeah, but he he he's got the leg, and uh, I feel good. And, and then we had a couple of really long punts too, which made mm. made a difference. Oh yeah, the punting was fantastic. We put the ball down inside their ten yard line several times. Yeah, that was great. And, and and didn't get blocked or anything like that. Uh, we had the one, I guess, kickoff return or something, and then... Yeah, they got one... One of their scores was set up by a, a long kickoff return. That's the only kind of negative special teams play, was they got about almost to the 50, and that set up a touchdown for them. So that was one thing I think we got to go back and work on a little bit, but otherwise, special teams, excellent. And Batiste is, is really good and fearless back there. I like yeah. him. I do, I do too, I do too. So I feel like we've got a lot of key components. I do. I feel this this team feels to me kind of like, in its own way, kind of like 2009, where we're just a handful of really good players away from making some noise. I don't know if we're a handful of players away from 2010, but uh, but we're awfully, you know, we've gone from 2008 to 2009, and it feels like we are in the game now, at least yes. most of the time, and so yeah, that's really good. 
Um, all right, so the bye week is coming up. It's at, like you said, it is at a really good time because you hate playing Georgia and LSU back to back. But fortunately, there's a week off, and so um, I wouldn't want to play LSU this week because they're going to be really ticked off. Mm-hmm. I mean, e- even more than giving us a rest, I think the best thing about this bye week is we don't have to be who LSU tries to take it out on at home. We're going to talk about that in around the SEC. Remind me of this point. Okay, we're coming back to that. Good uh, deal. But I agree. We need, but also I think the the players and coaches did a bunch of work for coming out of A and M for Georgia about stuff to fix, and then they saw positive results. Mm-hmm. And so now you go back and okay, let's go fix some more stuff. And we got two weeks to do it to fix stuff and scout ourselves and prepare for LSU. I mean, I think they're going to continue to get better. Well, John, you know what they say. They learn. They learn. <laughs> you grow more in the valley than in the mountaintop. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's my favorite freezeism. That's my favorite freezeism. Second only to frosty. <laughs> but uh, so, who has exceeded your expectations? I mean, I think the I said earlier the run defense. I yeah. think the you know last year we were like a hundredth in the country and we were really worried about it. We were yeah. worried that. Teams like Georgia would line up and blow us off the field running the ball, and that is not the case. We've been well, really strong. The, sp- um, the spring made us think that, too. Yes. Yeah, we ran the ball so well in the spring, we thought, oh, mm-hmm. we're a deep doo-doo, but maybe yeah. it's just our running game is really good. Yeah. Like, I, w- I would throw this out there. I think our run game is really good. I just think we may have played the two best defenses in the conference. A&M and Georgia. I think you're right. I think A&M's defense, again, aside from what happened in South Florida, that was kind of fluky when Miami just dissected them with a pass. But Texas A&M's defense, to me, looks – I mean, they, they, they smothered Arkansas just the same way they did us. Yes. They took them apart. They were in the backfield the whole game. Yeah. Right. So – and Arkansas has a quarterback that's supposed to know what he's doing and be very, you know, very hard to bring down and very solid and everything. And they were all over him. So I would, I would love to see A and M continue to do that the rest of the season. And I'd like for our game with them over there to look less bad. I'm not going to say better, but less bad and less bad every week. You know. Well, but I also think as if we continue to get better. We'll be a different team later in the year than we were in that game. We might even be actually be able to pass the ball a little bit by the end of the year, and we'll look back and go, okay, well, we, we fixed some of that stuff. All right, so heading into the rest of the SEC schedule, I, I, I do kind of want to lay out like a quick, you know, how are you feeling? Because after A&M, I was looking at the rest of our schedule and going, man, we're going to be doing good to get five wins. But now a bowl, is a bowl game back on the table? Yes. Bowl games back on the menu, boys. <laughs> um, I've only got two Lord of the Rings sound clips, and they're both for Kathy, so I'm not going to play those now. Okay. But, but you're right. It was, that was a very good uh, line-reading performance of, of the Orcs. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, the, we've got three wins now, and we could beat Arkansas, we could beat Mississippi State, and we got a pretty much a guaranteed win against some – somebody there cupcake before Alabama well and we got road game against Vanderbilt yeah so it's not as it's not as bad as we might have thought a week ago mm-hmm. and, and again I, some of the other tough teams we play have to come into Jordan Hare and as we discussed mm-hmm. that's a different kind of deal um, I think 
One of the things I'm interested in is I think like a lot of teams, we may just be better at home, especially on offense who are on the road. I think we might, you know, offensively, we're going to have to go play LSU at night in a couple weeks. Yeah. We might have some problems, right? But I think at home, especially, I think in the other games that we have, I think the offense is going to be better and be more solid. So I, I'm interested to see that. Um, but I, I feel good. I mean, I think we, you know, this team is the defense is solid. The running game solid. That's going to keep us in games going forward. And I want to go ahead and get this on the record while I'm thinking about it now, which is in two weeks when we play LSU at night. It looks like Nat's going to be at night, so that's it is, great. It's going to be at night. Oh, geez. In Tiger Stadium in Death Valley. I just want to go ahead and say now, um, don't read more into that game than you have to. Hopefully we'll win, but if things don't go well, LSU is still going to be riled up from being 3-2, and two, losing, giving up 50-something points to Ole Miss. I mean, whoever they're playing this week, I don't even know. They'll take it out Missouri. on – Oh, they're going to take it out on Missouri. And then they're going to turn around and say, now nah, it's our time to prove it against a team in our own division that's our rival, uh, allegedly. And um, so – and it'll be down there. Like you said, who knows what our offense will do. So I'm not exp- – I, I would love – I would love another back-to-back win – in Baton Rouge, I would love that, um, but d- I'm I'm not I'm not going in with high hopes. But don't let that make you. If we go to three and three and we look kind of bad on offense against LSU, don't let that get you down. Because after that, I think we've got a chance in every game the rest of the way. Alabama's defense has gotten a lot better, and of course with Kevin Steele, you should expect that. So I'm not as optimistic as I was a couple of weeks ago about hey, that game. But, but other than that. We'll get. We'll say, but I'm gonna say this about Alabama. They run the ball, play defense team. Do yeah. you know how many passes they attempted at at Starkville? Is I do not. Right? Uh, Twelve, I think. Wow. That's this is them. This is who they are. They're gonna run the ball. They have a running quarterback. If we play good run defense, we can beat them. They're listening to Funny Maine finally, huh? Run the ball. They're finally doing that. Oh, I have a question. As we transition now over into the SEC ranking thing that we've been remiss in getting up, but we're going to do it back now. Has Central Florida fielded a team this year? Because I haven't heard jack about <laughs> Gus and Central Florida. You didn't hear? Are you I really? You don't, is this a bit, or you don't know what happened Saturday? I have not heard jack about Central okay. Florida since this season started. Again. Honestly, John, right now, if you told me they decided not to play this year, I'd be like, oh, that explains it. Uh, they, again, I think I'm, I'm going to uh, – you want to play the soundbite for the Central Florida report? Oh, oh, good, yes. This is the Central Florida Golden Knights report. Van, they're, they're also 3-2. and two. Um, They uh, won their first three non-conference games, including a win at Boise, but <laughs> then they lost at Kansas State in a close <sighs> game. Then last weekend, they were playing Baylor at home. Central Florida was winning like 35 to 6 or something. Oh, no. And lost. Oh. 36-35. Baylor oh. came back and scored like the last 30 points of the game. It was the classic Gus get way ahead, sit on it. And the other team comes roaring back and gets all the momentum and wins the game. And that's exactly what happened. It was a brutal, 
brutal Central Florida loss. When we get off this show, I'm going to go on YouTube and and look that up because my gosh. Well, but you know what? That's I'm going to do the, do this thing in a second. But but you know that's kind of what Colorado almost did with USC, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I, the difference is, I think Southern I think Southern Cal's defense is just bad. Yeah. And I think this was definitely the Gus take the foot off the gas thing that we've seen a few times. Why have I not seen a a uh, pixel of this? I haven't haven't heard or seen it. Anything. Was a th- it was a thing for a while Saturday at some point. I don't wow. Time well, came I was at Archon, so. All right, well. This has been the Central Florida Golden Knights Report. So, how close are we yet to Central Florida fans finally admitting that we were right? Oh, a, a long way. Uh, they still happen. think that they traded up and have the better deal and everything? Yeah. Okay, well, that's fine. All right, let's look at the SEC. We haven't done this in a while, but we need to get back to it. So, uh, John has divided up the conference into the contenders, the good, the okay, and the ugly, the not so good. Um, where do you want to start? Let's just quickly start at the bottom or the top. Yeah, let's start at the bottom. Who's the not so good? I mean, this again, this is me, my thoughts. You may disagree. You, the listener, may disagree. Van may disagree as well. I think in the not good category, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. Yeah, that seems about right. All right. So the okay. Then then the okay category, solid teams, you know, maybe a bowl game, but not a lot beyond that. Uh, And Auburn, Florida, Arkansas, South Carolina. Now, my thought here is Auburn is. Yeah, we've we've had a poop the bed game and then a holy cow game, but Florida they had the one game against Tennessee and we don't know. This is the thing we're in that we're still in that part of the season where teams are doing surprising things and you have to figure out what you can read from those things, right? Like you look at what we did with Texas A and M and you go, what do you learn from that about Auburn? But then you look at what we did with Georgia and go, well, well, wait, that contradicts it. You look at what Florida did with Tennessee and you go, okay, I understand Florida. Then you look what Florida did with Kentucky and you go, wait, that contradicts it. You know what I mean? And so, and then I thought South Carolina was going to be really good this year, and they came out and played Georgia really well a couple of weeks ago and then kind of lost late, kind of like we did. So it's the same thing. I'm like, and Arkansas, I mean, you know, these are teams that are just Jekyll and Hyde every week, including us. And Again, I, the Tennessee-Florida game, Tennessee had some offensive linemen hurt and, and, and ejected in that game, and that was the difference that allowed Florida to win that game. I think if they played that game five times – Tennessee's winning three or four. Yeah, all right. So the good. Ole Miss, Tennessee, Missouri. Wow. The surprising good team. And Kentucky. I think Kentucky's solid. They're not oh, going to yeah. be great, but I think they're you know, a 75-8-4 kind of bowl team. Well, we got to talk about Kentucky-Georgia coming up in a minute. Yeah, and oh. Missouri, Missouri has receivers and a quarterback, and they've been kind of plucky. <sighs> Ole Miss is a bad game against Alabama away from being a contender. Yes. Whereas A&M is a bad game against Miami, and yet they are a contender. In my mind. But again, a non-conference loss, Yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But also, a, a, a road games, I'm trying not to weigh road games super heavily. Like, again, the Ole Miss game was at Tuscaloosa. The A&M game was at Miami. At, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I also I just think like Ole Miss's defense is better than it was last year, but it's not good. They, there was tackling was optional in that Saturday night Ole Miss LSU game. 
I think it's interesting. Georgia is suspect. Alabama's kind of one-dimensional and suspect. A&M, I think if A&M had played a cupcake to start the season instead of Miami, right now we would be calling A&M the best team in the conference. Well, we might be calling them that Saturday night. Well, that's true. But I, I just feel like I feel like if all we had seen from A&M is what they've done the last couple of weeks to us and to Arkansas, we'd be like, man, A&M looks like the best team. They look like they could beat Georgia right now, you know. And then LSU's just who knows what to think about that. <clears throat> so, all right. Again, I, you may disagree. I put LSU in the contender category. They have one conference loss, one non-conference loss against Florida State, who's pretty good. So, But their defense was horrific Saturday night. Um, mm-hmm. Ole Miss had 717 yards and 55 points. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's a, that's a problem. Yes. Um, but... Uh, I, so I put him in there, but I think A&M is a legitimate contender. I think they have a real chance against Alabama Saturday, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. I don't have a lot of confidence. It, it sucks to me that we're having to play A&M and uh, Georgia and LSU and Ole Miss back to back to back to back because I just I don't know how we win all four of those any of those games. I, I, I mean. You know, we came into that stretch three and zero, and we said this at the beginning of the season, forty games been played, that it's really going to suck to be three and four, and we were hoping one of them or two of them might be down, or we could sneak in a win. But and we almost did. But but um, tell me this, Kentucky to me, go out there and hammer Florida. I, I I've got Kentucky at the at right around the same level as Ole Miss right now. I think that's fair. I think they're good. They're good on defense and offensively. They're good. They <clears throat> part of the transfer portal thing is kind of the you know the the good teams take away players from the bad teams, and they took Vanderbilt's best offensive player, this running back Ray Davis, and that's the guy that killed Florida. And so if Vanderbilt had him, they'd be more competent now. But they don't. Kentucky has him, um, and they have you know they have the transfer quarterback from NC State. He hasn't been great, but I think he's not terrible. Um, so I agree. I mean, I, I just we got to see it from Kentucky, right? I mean, I don't. Yeah. I think Florida is a six and six kind of team. Um, so go down there beating them is great. I just think it's funny because Florida had beaten them like thirty five years in a row, and, and now, now Kentucky's beaten Florida three years in a row. I think that's insane. It is. It really shows where you. It shows. It shows it took that long for it to happen, but it shows that we're in a period now where Kentucky's historically very good. And Florida is historically not very good. Yeah, but we both know this is not norm for Florida. No. And they won't stay this bad. It's not normal for Kentucky or Florida. Right. That's and right. You, this, is the, this is a classic case, as we always talk about, of you got to get it when the getting's good, mm-hmm. which is why I wish we were playing Florida right now. That's why we'll have that Kentucky A&M SEC title game. <laughs> yeah, God. <laughs> but I, oh. I don't want to sleep on Missouri. I, I think mean, they're legitimately good. I, I don't think they're not they're not a national title team or any of that kind of silliness, but I think they're you know an eight and four kind of uh, SEC bull team. Uh, I think they're going to give a bunch of these other teams we talked about on their schedule real problems. Yeah. Well, they gave Georgia problems last year, so it's not completely mm-hmm. a fluke. Well, as everybody knows, we don't do ads on this program. We do wacky, funny bits, but we don't do ads. And that means that 
we rely on our listeners to keep the show going instead of some kind of income stream from telling you to go gamble or something. And so, or eat certain chicken wings. And so, say don't gamble. Right. Uh, and if there's ever been anything that tells you don't gamble, it was Georgia Auburn this week because I would have gone and put a whole lot of money on Georgia well, covering the spread. See, and- here's here's the lesson about don't gambling. One second, the spread when that game came out was like Georgia by fourteen or fourteen and a half, and a bunch of people were like, "That's crazy," and ran out and bet their money on Georgia. <clears throat> yep, I feel stupid Vegas now. Vegas always knows. Yeah, always, yeah. So, if you want to help support the show and not have stupid ads, go to www.auwishbone.com. www.auwishbone.com. Click on the big orange button. There's other things you can do while you're there, but click on the big orange button. Become a patron. You can leave whatever name you like as your name in the patron uh, on your Patreon on the patron thing, and um, that's what I will read. You can even leave instructions for which of the soundboard clips we have that you want me to play for whatever reason, as people like to do. Here now are the great folks who are currently keeping the program going. We have to thank Samuel Salvatore. Phil Amthor says... Yeah, it's true. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Boris the Tiger's burner account. Boris is sporting his new regal, kingly purple and uh, fur collar robe tonight. I think he is celebrating that we um, almost beat Georgia, although he thinks we did. And he's got the LSU colors because he knows the LSU game is coming up that he wants to rub it in the face of the Purple Tigers. Uh, Carl Von Drunker, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Logan Chilton says, I definitely still hate Cal, but can I still hate UMass? You certainly can. Ann Kangian, Bill Weathers, Bradley Blackman, David WDE Salmons Esquire, Eric Morgan, Gary Grant, a.k.a. AU Fan at KSC. <clears throat> I'm having a horrible time trying to talk tonight. Um, oh, if Carol Shelby... Uh, would have seen me on Saturday. He would have said... I don't speak Italian, but he ain't happy. <laughs> this is true. Matt Flowers, Michael Kirshner, Rich Reimer, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, William Morgan, uh, Wynn Carroll, has every Auburn fan's answer to their co-workers since Saturday. How are you? Not great, Bob. Uh, Alex Browns, Ben Bloodworth, Bleeds Orange and Blue, calibrating my fun meter in the back booth of, you know where. Joel's Barbecue and Foot Massage. Joel's Barbecue and Foot Massage. That's right. Chris Hilton celebrating the end of Auburn's potato famine by saying that now. We got to get better at celebrating. Oh, I hope so. I hope that that's the case. That's what we need to focus on now. Chris Thrash, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, Earl Ricks, Bobby, Harry Zagger, H-Town Danny. Uh, I got over my addiction to chocolate, marshmallows, and nuts. I'm not going to lie. It was a rocky road. (laughs) (laughs) I ordered a chicken chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know, says 76 Tiger Esquire. Sleazy shyster uh, for... Joe's Barbecue and Foot Massage. That's right. Um, I'm about to cough my head off here all of a sudden. Jacob and Robin Fleming. I'm going to get through this somehow. Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Lane Middleton, Mickey B, 
No one fights like Gaston. I know I sound terrible at this point. Algorithm and Blues. Paul Miles. Let me just get through this. Rusty Owen. Shane Bailey. we got a little more show to go. Spanky says that he is at the bottom of the list because... Someone knows. Oh. God knows. <laughs> That's the wrong one, but you know what? I kind of like it. Why you can, monkey boy? I kind of like that one. I'm going to go with that one this week. Steve Harlan plus Theodore Geary. Thorn hit them in the worst spot, their hands. That's probably true. Uh, Todd Robinson, Warhammer 6. Um, uh, WDE Richie says it's the start of SEC play. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. I hope that's the case. Weagle Weagle. Welcome back, John, says one of our... uh, one of our listeners, Wes Atkinson, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, what, he's right over here in his little ermine coat, Brandon Smith, Carter Glaus, Colby Butler, Corey Smyer, David D., David Simpson, Di Bama, at... Joe's Barbecue Foot Massage! Josh Teal, just wait till next year. I would wait till just two weeks from now. Kevin Mahan, Luther and Kelly Ottaway, Melissa Blackstone, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, and our one time and anonymous donors. <laughs> Pausing the sleaze jokes out of respect for the season, but just know I'm still thinking it. I think it was Jared that says he really respects the. Uh, Keeping that going, right? That he's sticking with his uh, with his bit. <clears throat> Philip Martin, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shannon Butts, Butston, Spider-Man has a winter jacket made of Mediterranean flatbed. It's called a Peter Parker. <laughs> Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry, Weagle87, Woody the Jag, at the Mad Reaper Pepper Company on Instagram, Alex Wynn, AU Falling Up, <clears throat> Ben Amos, Ben Regas, Brant Rumble, Brian Albanese, Chris Mooney, and finally, Chris Como, Chris Braun, Clay Henson, Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, Darren Pyle, Elizabeth Donald. we got to get better at celebrating. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jim Ricori, Joey Miller, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kenneth Brent Rain says the barbecue. You have failed me for the last time. MVP, oh, Mark Squire, MVP, Captivating Kathy Bright. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Oh, uh, my favorite. Oh, where did it go? I see. This is what happened. My favorite button on the remote is pause. I am Tiger. There it is. New York Tiger says beat LS who Florida has always been a bigger rival war Eagle. You are absolutely hundred percent correct. Our Eagle tradition is so cool. The Philadelphia Eagles have started doing it. I agree. That's really cool, but they're using our Eagle too. Paul Bankson, Rich Hammett, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Sports Illustrated's Auburn Elvis, Stephen Thompson, the Slinko family, Tim Sauls, Trevor Johnson, War Eagle, Delvin. Hey, there's a good uh, shout-out to Delvin. And why are you booing Johnny's right? Plus, our one-time and anonymous donors, again, go to, do us a favor, go to www.auwishbone.com. Uh, John, where does the SEC conference pick stand right now while I'm trying to get my feet back under me here? All right. Wouldn't you like to know? I had it pulled up a moment ago and lost it. Um, do you know who's in the lead in the SEC conference pick'em van? Bill Miner. I have it pulled up too, so I do know that. Yes, <laughs> but go ahead and tell the folks. Um, in, in in first place, Bill Miner. Um, we have a, a lot of patrons, uh, and there's been a little bit of separation over the last few weeks with the number of picks that have been made. Whoa. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a 48 um, to 48, and then 47, 47, 47 in terms of getting Sugarloaf right. Black Ice, I'm not sure who that is, but they're tied. And then it's Patrick Williams, mm-hmm. 96-2 AUs. And then your favorite, Frosty. Frosty! <laughs> uh, and, uh, and some good team, some good uh, names in here, but it's close. There's a lot of te- in the upper 40s there. It's going to be good down to the wire. So um, You're, at, you're at 15. Is, you're currently at 15, yeah. and I'm at 26. Uh, we got I got we got a ways to go to catch up to these guys that are doing really well, but uh, I think we have some chances, and uh, it's going to be fun to see. But that's it's pretty impressive by Bill. I mean, only only eight wrong to this point in the season is pretty good. So, yeah, I'm just noticing I'm all the way down in 26, and I've gotten 13 wrong, so I've only missed five more than him, and yet I'm 25 spots below him in the. <laughs> and you've uh, you've missed 11, so you've gotten two right that I got wrong. So that's pretty good. It's there's a fine line basically. There is, but it's also like if everything goes chalk and you pick chalk, you and you win. But if there's some upsets and you pick them, you're going to gain ground. So I, exactly, it's a strategy yeah. thing. I'm kind of thinking about at this point. Yeah, but if you pick this, if you if you go out on a limb and pick the upsets to try to make up ground, and then the upsets don't happen, you lose more ground. You, you lose more ground. That's right. It's, it's tough. It's tough. It is. All right, our guest. The game is on hiatus. For a little longer because we're covering these big middle of the season games and I know Jared's enjoying not having to worry about it for a little bit that's good uh, he knows we love him and we'll ha- have him back on as soon as we have the time we're already an hour and ten minutes into the show we haven't even gotten to listener questions yet there's no fantasy Formula 1 this past week there's a race coming up from Qatar this coming weekend and oh there is one segment though that I have added and we got to get to that one now <clears throat> which is It's the worst coaches in the world, John. It's a brand new segment. I liked how it went last week. I'm going to do it here really quickly. All right. We're going to rank the three worst coaches in the world after Saturday. And I'm going to turn it down a little bit, though. At number three, worst coach in the world, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Iowa punted or turned the ball over on five of their first six possessions of the second half against Michigan State. The drive they actually scored on was the drive they got the least yards in the second half, minus two. It reminded me of last week when Alabama got the ball on Ole Miss's one-yard line and and ended up kicking a 40-yard field goal after a drive of minus 22 yards. Way to go, Bama. And yes, if you figured out by now that I'm always looking for a way to make fun of Alabama when I'm talking about any coach, you figured it out. <clears throat> the runner-up for worst coach of the world is Josh Heupel of Tennessee. Tennessee wore all black with orange stripes and letters against South Carolina this week. What is it with Tennessee? Why do they keep substituting in colors that have nothing to do with their own team colors? They've done camouflage. They've done gray. They've done black. That, this wouldn't have even looked good on Halloween, and it's just now October. What's next? Aqua? Lavender? Auburn fans worry about what it would do to our image and reputation to wear an, a color that's already once of one of our colors. And Tennessee is single-handedly setting uniforms back 150 years. Way to go, Tennessee. Now, this would have been the number one worst coach in the world this week, but there's been a late a substitution. Billy Napier at Florida. Florida looked shaky to start the season. Napier's job was hanging by a thread despite their current recruiting class. 
But a big win over higher-ranked Tennessee made everybody think maybe they're getting their act together. But then they barely squeaked out a win over something called Charlotte, which I'm not entirely convinced wasn't a young lady that was playing them single-handedly. They then turn around and get crushed by an unranked Kentucky. Talk about setting your seat on fire, hitting it with a fire extinguisher, and then lighting it right back on fire again. Well done. Florida is 3-2 and two and will doubtlessly drop out of the top 25 again. How is it that so many coaches can be so bad to mediocre to a school that's the only SEC school in the state with that many great players and that can recruit the way they historically do? It just amazes me. It's like the freaking... Bermuda Triangle is centered on Gainesville sometime. I just don't understand how they can't turn things around, but there's only been two coaches ever that were able to do it. But we have a late entry. Here is the actual worst coach in the world. Because just before airtime, I learned of what's been happening with Arkansas offensive coordinator Dan Enos. Apparently, students have been emailing him critiques and criticisms and suggestions for running his offense. And he's been responding to them and engaging in Twitter style back and forth through email. Dan, that's fine for me to do with other fans on Twitter, but you're the actual offensive coordinator. You make your statement or you fail to do so on the field. To make matters worse, the kid was pretty much correct in his criticism. You don't get <laughs> you don't get fancy on short yardage when you have a cam-sized quarterback and you need a yard. And uh, when your team is already locked in a downward death spiral and needs any break and get, get, you get the yard. You quarterback sneak, which is what the kid said you should have done. And you don't email with disgruntled students after you screw it up. In true Arkansas fashion, what you really should do is take off with the secretary, crash your motorcycle, and run to the NFL. Dan Enos, I'm going to email you tonight to inform you you are this week's worst coach in the world. All right, there it is, our new segment. So, John, it is now time, I believe, that we should... Thank you. Order questions to the Prime Minister. It's time for listener questions. Dun-dun-dun on the AU Wishbone Podcast. And the worst coaches in the world feature will continue until either we run out of worst coaches or I get tired of doing it. So, meanwhile, what's in the mailbox this week? Until morale improves. Until morale improves. Amen. (laughs) Until somebody puts in a big enough Patreon donation to tell me not to do it. (laughs) So, what what do we got in the mailbox? Our first one is from Bill Miner. He sent this in a couple weeks ago, but we saved it. And it says, "Um, guys, since it's Georgia week, let me remind you, of my biggest Auburn football pet peeve since I enrolled in the fall of 2005, I counted that since I started, we have only beaten Georgia four out of 19 times, now four out of 20, many mm. of which could have been broken our way at some point but didn't. Compare that to beating Alabama seven times in the same time span and having a few more close calls, it bugs me to no end that we had a nice winning lifetime record against them in 2005 mm-hmm. when it got tied up around 2016-17, and now we are behind in the series by seven games. Do you have a personal armor statistic like this that bugs you? I would almost rather beat them than Alabama at this point because it's seemingly rarer. Yeah, it's the same thing that happened with our Alabama record, which is if you take the nine years in the 70s with Bear Bryant out, we have like a winning record against Alabama to this day. 
but it's that it's that nine year streak with the bear against Barfield and against Suge when he was dying, basically, and everything. That was what did it, and that's why they have a, you know, they have the lead that they have over us now. I think the fact I think Vanderbilt has a winning record against this, right? That's yeah, that I, one's I pretty bad. I think that's too. the one that bugs me the most. It, I, we may have tied it. That one may be tied now, but okay. but yeah, even the fact that it's that we're not ahead by 20 games is a very frustrating thing. All right. Next question from Samuel Salvatore says, "Hello guys, and War Eagle from Italy." He oh, says, yeah. "I got a War Eagle at the Rome airport uh, from the gate because I had my Auburn hoodie on and I got a roll tide near the customs line." He says, <laughs> "There's something to that, but okay." <laughs> mm-hmm. He says, "Is Hugh Freeze the most honest coach Auburn has ever had, or is there another coach you could think of uh, that honest and not and uh, that coaches and and doesn't do the coaches talk, the co- you know coach talk more than Hugh Freeze?" Well, with a few exceptions, like when he talks about you learn more in the valley than in the mountaintop or whatever. I mean, he has a few. He has some of his, but I but I but, think he has been unbelievably honest and transparent about stuff about how he feels about things and about what is going on with the team not they're not going to be honest and clear about injury stuff that's fine that nobody expects that but you know i think take accountability for things but being honest about what's working and not working um i think it's really different and i again i had stopped listening to other coaches because gus and harson late tuberville i learned nothing from right. them, any statement they ever made at any event, ever. I don't care if they were speaking to the, <laughs> you know, the Wetumpka Auburn Club with ten people in the room and no recording devices. They wouldn't say anything, you know, remotely interesting. So I just I I I find it refreshing. Now you know we'll see. Does it continue that way forever? I don't know, but it, uh, right now it's refreshing. Yeah, I do too. I agree. All right, this question is from Doc Kraken, who says, "All right, another quick question for Georgia Week." How much of the passing game production woes are on the receivers yeah. and Coach Marcus Davis? We supposedly oh. went out and got very talented players, and yet they're still not getting open or able to catch the ball if it's close. Is it coaching? Thanks again, and War Eagle. You know, the thing I hesitate there, though, is that it seems like every time we've ever had issues like this, people point to the receiving coach. And, and maybe that's legit, but it's happened a lot. Because I remember under Tuberville, people pointed at Greg Knox all the time. Remember, he was always mm-hmm. getting criticized. And, you know, the game we did against Arkansas a few years ago where we dropped every pass in the game in law, I guess, a 15 or something. Um, and so it just seems to me like if it was always the receiver's coach – receivers coaches fault when this happened there must not be very many good receiver coaches out there because it seems to happen a lot I, I don't know what the deal is but i'm not sure that's even half the blame honestly i'm not really sure i, I agree it, i think we have more talented receivers than we had last year but i'm going to put our receivers group in the bottom four in the conference or whatever yeah it's it's sad but it's true and and honestly, we're not giving them a lot of help with the passing. I mean, there's no, no. It I mean, hasn't I, been right. great. I, it hasn't been Thor terrible. Hasn't but. Been super accurate, and, and they got to get it to them on time and stuff. But they, mm. you know, they're not uh, they're not setting the world on fire either. They got to. Right. This is a big off week for them. That's good. All right. Next next email is from Paul Perkins, and the subject matter is John is no longer allowed to go on vacation. <laughs> well, there it is. She says, I blame these losses all on John. How dare he go out of town for two weeks during football season? Treasonous, I say. Just kidding. We missed you, John. Van, you did a great job. Anyway, after the Texas A&M loss, I was pretty depressed going into Georgia week. 
but was so pleasantly surprised by our performance. Yep. Do things need to get be fixed? Absolutely. But we never gave up. We fought hard. There are, of course, no moral victories, but seeing that Freeze seemed to have a hand in the game plan was nice. My biggest complaint, other than the drop past us, was Zion Puckett getting burned by Bowers every time. <clears throat> I knew what the last call was going to be, but he seemed to play off 10 yards every time. My question is, do you believe that was a coverage thing or a Zion thing? Because to me, it seemed to be both, but Zion also didn't seem to make any adjustments to Bowers, even when he was right in front of him. I just don't know enough about coverage for me to make any kind of informed decision. War Eagle always, hopefully we're on the right track, Paula. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you look at Bowers basically said, if you can't puck it. <laughs> um, okay. But I, uh, I don't know. You, you address remember, that. Remember, Puckett also made the big defensive play on what would have been a touchdown for sure mm-hmm. and knocked the ball away for Bowers. So it wasn't every time he was in coverage he got abused, and there was a place in the first half we had really good coverage. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I, I – he definitely had issues, but I think there was more than one person responsible for Bowers on almost every play. Um, and I think part of it is what I said at the beginning. I think Bowers is freaking good. I think he's going to do that to every other team they play to. And, you know, here's what Auburn, the Auburn family said when John got back off the plane after his trip. There they are. Are they not a shame on their country? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, so you can't leave. Oh, oh, and we have we have some actual audio from the Auburn Texas A and M game. This is actual audio of the offense trying to call plays uh, against Texas A and M. Excuse me, did you call number fifty-two? Did you hear me call number fifty-two? <laughs> there it is. There was actual off- actual audio of how the plays were called against Texas A and M. Um, any other listener questions? A right, couple more. This right. another one from Bill Miner. He says, guys, as much as we wanted to play the game against Georgia, it was definitely better notes enter into a bye week with them than playing like we did against A&M. In, our, in your minds, when would the perfect time to have our bye week? Obviously, it seems like each year's team can truly benefit if it, <clears throat> different times depending on injuries or momentum. To me... It seems like the perfect time for one to work on some things, to prep, to go out and get our first win in Baton Rouge since Potato was the head coach and the only win there this millennium. Yeah. No, I think we talked already this is a really good time. I mean, there are other times it would work good too, but uh, like if you wrote off this game and wrote off Ole Miss, it might be nice to have it before we play the more winnable games like Arkansas and Mississippi State. But I do think that, given what we saw LSU do against Ole Miss, that we do have a puncher's chance if we can get some punches. So this is a – and again, you know, like we were talking about before, let LSU kind of expend some of that frustration against uh, whoever they're, whoever you said they're playing this week. Missouri. And then we'll – yeah, Missouri. And then we'll catch them after they've kind of had their tantrum. So I, I think the other thing is Georgia is a super physical team. And playing them, you, you come out of that game on the lines and – kind of beat up the running backs probably really feeling it today um so i think you know it's good for the players to get a, a chance to to rehab and recover before we have to go play a, you know a lsu team so i think that's the other big piece not just getting better at things but i think georgia is one of those teams and georgia a&m back to back we need our guys need some time in the you know the, the ice bath and all that yeah um Last email is from uh, Dan in North Carolina who says, I was trying to think 
of what game last week's loss reminded me of, and I came up with the 2009 Iron Bowl game where we played a better team but winded up losing, but mm-hmm. the loss was positive as it gave us more confidence in the program direction. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I mentioned that earlier a couple of times that I 100% agree. that It, it really did, did make me think of the 09 team for sure. I agree. I think because... And I think the difference is, like, in the 09 game, we kind of threw the kitchen sink in there to try to win. And in yeah. this game, we didn't, which right. in some ways is more positive because we weren't trying to, you know, go crazy to win the game. We were just playing our game. But, man, I'm just imagining what our offensive game plan is going to be against Alabama in a few weeks. <laughs> it's going to be off the hook. Oh, my goodness. Off the chain. All right. Around the SEC. All right. Let's top out. Everybody hop aboard the Mobile. Well, week five, um, Kentucky beat Florida 33-24, and I think that was even worse than the score indicated. Uh, Oh, it was. Florida scored late. Here's the Kentucky rushing line in that game. 36 carries, 329 yards, 9.14 per carry. (laughs) If you can get nine yards a carry in the running game, I think you're in good shape. You don't need to worry (laughs) about a lot. Yeah, you're all right. Uh, A&M beat Arkansas 34-22. And again, I think is worse than the score indicated. A&M really had their number the whole game, it, it seemed like. It was close at half, and then A&M kind of took them apart after that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'd like to see A&M continue to do well because the way they beat us, I'd like to see them beat other people the same way. Uh, Missouri continued their winning ways. I saw that the SEC roll call guy had them. He had a a hood and and a cloak on, and he was Dark Mizzou, which I thought was pretty funny. So, uh, Dark Mizzou beat Vanderbilt thirty eight to twenty one. I didn't watch that obviously, but uh, any any notes on that one? Uh, Missouri has two good receivers and a decent quarterback. They yeah, goes uh, a long be way. Entertaining. That'll go a long way. The Ole Miss LSU game was the most entertaining game of the of the weekend, I think. If you're a person who's morally opposed to defense, it was the most entertaining game. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. You're a big defense guy, so you I'm didn't... a defense guy, so that was a little bit like watching a scrimmage to me. It was, But it was fun. Oh, I mean, it was great. entertaining. It was so good, um, yes. Uh, you know, it really was like, who's going to have the ball last? And yeah. Again, you know, Ole Miss scored late in the game, and I thought, did they score too soon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it was two coaches I find rather unsavory, so I really couldn't have lost either way. And and I just, as much as I don't like Ole Miss currently and don't like uh, their coach, Kiffin, I, you know, in a game like that, I always try to explain this to my wife. She's always like, well, who are you rooting for? And I'm like, well, A, I'm always rooting. If, if Auburn's not in it, I'm usually just rooting for a good game. Unless it's Alabama, in which case I want Alabama. Yes. I'm just rooting for an entertaining game. So, like, if LSU was up 21 to nothing, I'm rooting for Ole Miss to come back and tie it at 21, and then we'll just see what happens. But I was kind of wanting Ole Miss to win just because I enjoy when teams like LSU kind of get shoved down and suffer a little bit. I feel like it's good for their souls to learn a little humid- humility, you know. And so, well, they've, they, they've learned plenty of humidity down there. They need to learn some humility. So, there you well, go. But, again, they, they made it to the SEC title game last year. They thought it was – you know, playoff or bust for them this year. So there's oh, yeah. some unhappy people. And you know, you remember from the very beginning of our coverage of this preseason, I said, I don't get it. I said all along, I said, I don't understand why everybody's hot on LSU. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And you had to remind me that they went to the SEC championship game last year. And I'm like, well, dang, yeah, they did. But I almost forgot. And I don't see them doing it two years in a row because it was kind of fluky. 
And I just mm-hmm. didn't see it happening twice. Um, what is the deal with South Carolina? I thought South Carolina had a good team, and yet they keep going out and losing by double digits to, to teams that, yeah, I'm, that are suspect. In Tennessee, Tennessee's good at home, and they yeah. were fired up as a night game, and I think they played well. And I think, you know, they came out and kind of attacking uh, South Carolina and jumped on them with both feet. And I think South Carolina doesn't have the offensive line. That's a big problem. You know, it's a puts a lot on that quarterback, and I think he's lost a couple of the playmakers too that made them, yes. you know, competitive. Yeah, Rattler, he's good, but he just doesn't have a lot around him right now. It's too mm-hmm. bad. And then Alabama, I didn't even watch this game. I checked in occasionally on the score just to make sure because you know, you and I have established firmly that the the S John the SEC has laws. It is not a lawless conference. There are. There are hard, immutable laws within the SEC that cannot be violated. There's the speed of light, right? There's cowbells are always going to ring in Starkville. And there's Mississippi State does not beat Alabama. It just does not happen. And so I knew that they had zero chance. There was just no way. So I wasn't even going to waste my time watching yet another Mississippi State team lose to yet another Alabama team. And 40-17, to there you go. I watched a little bit just to see what Alabama's offense looked like, but they they ran the ball. They didn't bother to throw it. The defense played solidly, you know. And and Mississippi State's you know okay, but they uh, they're not against good defenses. They got problems. This Alabama team this season sounds like a Pat Dye team from the early '80s. They just they get frustrated with the pass, and they're just like, you know what? We're going to play defense and run the ball, and there you go. And that just and and beat Mississippi State, which is another Pat Dye thing. So that's it. Uh, all right, the Colorado game, when USC was getting way out ahead of them early on, I didn't even bother to tune in because there were other games on I wanted to see, and I'm like, you know, look, if this is a close game, I'll watch it, but otherwise I'm not interested. But it looked to me, I went back and watched the replay highlights just to see what it was exactly I had missed, and it looked like what happened was Colorado made some mistakes early that got them in down like in like a 21 to nothing hole. But in the second half, Colorado won 27 to 14. Oh, you know, just in that half. And so they ended up, you know, USC won 48-41, but it was another one of these games where, dang, I mean, Colorado, when they lose, other than the Oregon game, I guess, when they lose, they certainly make it interesting. So, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. You know my opinion of Deion Sanders, which is about the same as yours. It's just we don't like him. We didn't like him as a player. He was arrogant. He was a jerk, whatever. But I do see people attacking and criticizing him as a coach and saying, you know, Colorado's overrated and why they got to keep talking about him and showing him. I, I don't agree with that. I think he's they're absolutely the show. I enjoy watching them. I'm not saying I'm rooting for them or against them. I'm not wanting them to lose just so I can, you know, what I'm I'm just watching it as like a news story unfolding and I'm I'm interested. So I give him credit. I mean, I think he's done a great job. Some other day says, well, he needs to win something before he do it. I was like, they won double the games Colorado won all last season in week two. So give him some credit, right? It took him exactly one week to equal last year's entire win total for Colorado, and it took him two games to double it. So they're doing fine. You know, they're playing some really good teams, and they're playing them pretty well. So. I think the other sign here is just that Southern Cal's defense is terrible. Yeah. And uh, that allowed the big comeback. It's Colorado's good on offense, but either one of their lines are very good. But I think this the part of this is, like, Southern Cal's not a real serious contender. I think Oregon and Washington are both better. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how the 
how the pack two plus extra plays out in this in this season. It's interesting. This is the last season of the SEC East and the SEC West, and it's the last season of the Pac-12. A lot of things are going away after 2023 that we never would have predicted just a couple of years ago. That's kind of crazy. Um, all right, so week six is coming up. LSU at Missouri at 11 a.m. Uh, Central Time. <laughs> In the and I've moved it. It's remember this is the one that I moved and now I can't ever find it anymore. I really, I really wish I hadn't moved it. It really ticks me off that I can't ever find it. Anyway, oh, the 11 a.m. Jefferson Pilot time slot of death. And I mean that I, should be an interesting game. Again, hangover from the terrible Ole Miss game. 11 a.m. time slot of death on the road at Missouri, a team they don't care about, really. I think LSU could come out flat. Missouri could give them all kinds of problems. I don't want LSU losing two games back-to-back before they play us. That would be a disaster. I think that would be very bad. I need LSU to win this game handily. Although, it is an 11 a.m. game, and I'd honestly rather play... I'd almost rather play LSU at night than play them at 11 o'clock in the morning. Because as much as they don't like playing at 11 o'clock, we just seem to play bad at 11 o'clock in the morning. That's fair. All right. Western Michigan at Mississippi State. I have nothing to say about that. Um, Alabama at Texas A&M. That's the game I'm really interested in, too. There's some good games this weekend. I mean, what are you feeling right now there? I'm excited to see Texas A&M's defense against that Alabama running game. I don't think Alabama can throw the ball well. Can Texas A&M's really good defensive line shut them down? But also then, you know, I think A&M has good receivers. I think Max Johnson is the backup quarterback who's playing now because the other guy got hurt against us is okay. And I think they're going to – I think this is going to be a close competitive game. A&M, you know, had beat them there a couple years ago and then was down to the wire in Tuscaloosa and stuff. I think this is going to be a good, you know, down to the fourth quarter game. Alabama won like two games back to back there by being tied at like three to three at the half and then scoring two touchdowns late and winning like seventeen to three or something. If this is yeah. another one of those, I just give up. But I think this game is gonna be like three to three at the half or six to six, and I'm really interested to see how the second half plays out in it. Uh Vanderbilt at Florida, four o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Central. I mean, it, if Vanderbilt was ever gonna beat Florida, this might be the chance. Listen. Van, if Vanderbilt's ahead in the first half, you are going to hear some anxiety from that stadium. <laughs> I can't wait. I love it. And then the night game. Good Lord. Kentucky at Georgia. I think Kentucky's got a shot. I wish it was at Lexington, but at Georgia, I think favors Georgia. In fact, I'm, I already decided I'm going to go ahead. My and cold, dead hands. Lock of the week. I want Kentucky to win this game so bad, and I think they had the possibility to. But I feel like at Georgia, with everybody telling them you almost pooped the bed against Auburn, I think Georgia's going to come out with their hair on fire and beat Kentucky by double digits. I like it. Arkansas at Ole Miss. This feels like an Ole Miss win by double digits as well. Am I wrong? They are going to be so hungover from that win last week. <laughs> Probably literally. Not, their feet aren't going to touch the ground until right before kickoff. They are absolutely going to screw around and let Arkansas hang around in this game. Oh, that'll be fun, too. There are some good – and you know what? Not only are there a whole bunch of good matchups coming up Saturday in every, in every time slot, we don't have to worry about how we do. We can just sit back That's and right. watch the losers lose and the winners mess around and – 
It's going to be nice. And then what's our non-conference, John's non-conference game to watch? I bet it's I know. A big one, Oklahoma versus Texas in Dallas. Uh, the Red River Texas shootout. There. It's noon on ABC, so you could flip back and forth between it and that LSU-Missouri game. Right. I think Texas is legitimately good, like a playoff team. And Oklahoma's better. Texas destroyed them last year. So Oklahoma looks better, but I still think Texas is you know, going to take it to them. And I'm, I'm excited to watch. It's going to be good. John, it's been, uh, it's been an, ex- an interesting last couple of weeks, but we have you back now. We got this thing in in less than two hours, which I'm proud of, even with my extended uh, Worst Coaches of the, in the World segment. I'm not done. <laughs> Any final thoughts? I hate Georgia. I hate UMass. Yeah. And um, I'm happy to be back talking with you about all the football. So let's take a week off. We'll be back again on Monday to talk about Monday night next week to talk about what everybody but Auburn did. And then we'll preview at LSU. All right, that's it. Our time is up. We thank you for yours. War Eagle John, and welcome back. War Eagle Van. Thanks for listening to the AU Wishbone. Find links to everything we do at www.auwishbone.com. For more Auburn fun, join us on Twitter at AU Wishbone and at facebook.com slash AU Wishbone. War Eagle. The AU Wishbone is produced by Van Allen Plexico and John Ringer. Copyright 2020. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Thank you for listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast.